We're in week two of our series, uh, The Way of Jesus. And I just want to ask the question, are you hurried? Now, you'll notice I've uh, put on a cycling jersey. It's uh, one that I wore as part of it, the team for the Present Hope Tour. And that was about 10 years ago, next month. It was interesting as we began the tour, we decided to have a couple key words that we would remind each other of as we uh, leaned into uh, riding some days 100 miles. And I have to admit, and I've shared about this before, how difficult uh, those first couple years of my cycling experience uh, were and even today are for, for many different reasons. But we decided one of the key words we were going to operate from was this idea of being present. And, you know, it's just interesting. So on uh, a day that we were riding through uh, Mississippi, uh, we were in Tupelo, which is the birthplace of uh, Elvis Presley, if you didn't know. And as we got up that morning, we decided on that day that we were not going to ride in a hurried pace, that we intentionally were going to stop uh, to anyone and engage conversation that would wave at us. It's just a way of uh, marking off uh, how we would uh, you know, proceed through the day. And it started out, it was a beautiful morning. We were coming down uh, this amazing uh, uh, highway, and it, pretty much we were lonesome in terms of there wasn't a lot of traffic, and the sun was coming up, and we were just getting into a, a nice uh, downhill descent as part of the team. And then all of a sudden, we looked over to the left, and we saw three gentlemen that were standing outside of a facility. It, it, it wasn't a home. It was larger than a home. But there was rocking chairs on the front porch, and uh, we decided that we needed to honor our, our own words of being present. And so we slowed down, and we turned around and came back up. And you can see here from the picture, these gentlemen uh, met us. And, and as we were talking with them, there, is a, there was a woman who uh, was on staff of this facility. As it turns out, it was actually a halfway house. And she came across the parking lot from the administrative building, and she was just kind of concerned that we had stopped and even wanted to know why we were there. And when we said that uh, we were there simply because they had uh, waved at us and we just wanted to be encouragers, that uh, she began to cry. And she said, you don't understand. Uh, the reality is, is that nobody ever stops here. Everybody's in a hurry. And so, and, and here's a short video of that encounter. And you can see from just the short conversation you could hear that they were just inquiring about what we were doing and why we were doing it. And they were so blessed by the fact that we stopped our hurried and busy day to engage them. And I think that experience really shaped me as I went forward with the team as we realized that there was a weight that we were carrying of being much more aware of the world around us. And I think life is a lot like that. And yet at the same time, I think little by little, uh, we end up rushing to the point of we just want to get the task done. And so today I want to just talk, ask the question, are you hurried? Do you feel like you're overwhelmed? Are you anxious because all you have to do? The reality is, I think all of us struggle, is that uh, there aren't enough hours in the day. And if we can just squeeze a few more things into it. When we head to the store, we look for the checkout line that has the least amount of attendance. And even today, now, the problem with that is it's mostly uh, self-checkout, right? <laughs> and there's still a line for that. Uh, or we're going to get to the gas station and we want to find the quickest way in and out. 
And so many of us, we tend to multitask and, and it just, life is just full, maybe more fuller than we would like it to be. And to be honest, I think when we really give consideration that our life isn't just rushed, that often we're disappointed in what we're experiencing in life. We just know that there's something missing, that we're just way too busy. There's no time to do what we love or even spend time with the people we do love. And I want to just confront that as our conversation today, that I, I just want to say that life's not supposed to be this way. One of the takeaways from John Mark Comer's book is this idea. The greatest enemy to the life you want may be the life that you're living. And so today we're going to just talk about how do we move into a less hurried kind of perspective. And we're going to look at Jesus again to help us see that. But let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the day. We're grateful that even in the busyness, you continue to show up and encourage us. And so this morning, as we look at your word, I just pray that you would uh, encourage us to work towards the rhythms of, of grace that you have for us and to center ourselves on you. And Jesus, we just thank you for the life that you've given us. And we pray that we see it now through your Holy Spirit in your name. Amen. And to be honest, as I'm laying this message out and just sharing it with you, it for me is a hard message. Although I have to admit over the last year, 14 months, just some things that I've had to lean into. I had a health episode last June that ended up realizing that I had some blood pressure issues and, and had some other diagnoses that are just part of the maturing of life, right? But have realized that I, I can't do what I used to do. And yet the reality is, I think all of us feel it is that there's uh, so much around us that just the idea of slowing down sometimes doesn't work very well. And even the idea when you're in ministry, there's a mindset I think that many pastors have and those that serve is that we know the devil doesn't take a day off and so maybe we'll just slow down when we finally get to heaven. But I want to suggest that that's not the rhythm that Jesus wants us to engage in. And again, this is an open conversation I'm having with myself as I'm thinking through this season of life of what it is that God's asking me to be and do. Now, hopefully you're not as dysfunctional as I am, but I'm going to guess that you're busy, though, that we all have places to be and we all have a job to do. There's bills that we have to pay and there's the kitchen we need to clean or you may have kids in your home that you need to raise or grandchildren that you need to be a part of their lives. Uh, there's the news to read. There's the, the yard to mow, the garden to work in, the, the dinner to cook. Uh, the clothes that we want to buy so we can look fashionable, and then the clothes we have to wash because that we've bought them, and then even the clothes that we don't wear because uh, they're not as fashionable as they used to be, uh, and so we buy more clothes. And then the amount of pictures that we take through our phones to share with neighbors and friends that we want to, you know, just to have them see part of the life that we're living. And then it, the idea of even leaning into, in our downtime, you know, sort of the, the numbing that comes from watching uh, uh, Netflix, binging something on Netflix. And yet we, we just don't have time. Our family meals are rushed. That We just don't have time for deep conversations for, for friends. And even the idea of finding rest and to be able to reflect and to read maybe and even to seek God. And the reality is that we just don't have time. Now, the good thing is that that's what I'm saying about my life as a truth is I think it's very much all of our lives, right? I, I don't think anyone else has the time, especially now. It's just so, so busy. 
And so again, back to this idea that John Mark Comer lays out is that what if the greatest enemy in the life that we want is that the way we're living our lives right now. This series is entitled The Way of Jesus. And, and what we'll look at is we look at the Gospels. We realize that, that for three years, the Gospels share with us the story of Jesus, how he embraced his mission from uh, his heavenly father, how he pulled together a team of 12 amazing disciples and how he trained them to understand what the kingdom was all about. And then in his journey here on earth during those three years, he uh, had to push through the hatred of the religious leaders of the day. Same time he resisted the temptation from the devil. Also, he healed all sorts of sick people. And he also loved on all sorts of hurting people too. And he preached God's word fearlessly and the truth is, his life, his coming and walking amongst us, being born into the flesh and then living through to his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he fulfilled some 351 Old Testament prophecies. And yet, when we look at Jesus and we look at his life, we realize that this is true, right? That he never once ran. Uh, that Jesus was incredibly busy but it seems like he was never rushed. I don't think he ever said, uh, oh my goodness, guys, uh, we're way behind schedule. We need to make up lost time. That uh, Thomas is late again. Let's just leave him behind, right? No, the truth is Jesus never once ran. And in fact, let's look at here at one of the gospel accounts. Mark uh, says to us here in uh, verse 14 of chapter two, as he, Jesus, walked along, and was that again? Walked along. As he, Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth and said, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now here's the question. If Levi, who we read about here, followed an unrushed Jesus, if Levi followed an unrushed Jesus, then Levi should have been living an unrushed life. And then it should be true for us, right? If we're living the way of Jesus, if we follow an unrushed Jesus, we, as his people, should be living an unrushed life. Now, that's the tension, right? Because when we think about our days, it seems like they're more than full. And so what I want to suggest is that if you find yourself always rushed and always stressed and always overwhelmed, that you're exhausted trying to just get it all done, and maybe you feel like you're always falling short. And yet what's interesting, and we saw this last week in the verse we looked at, where Jesus invites us, he invites you and me to come to him, as we looked at it in Matthew 11. I want to look at this in the message version. Now, the message version is a, is a paraphrase, so it's not really a Bible translation. It's actually a translation written by an incredible Presbyterian pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson. He wrote it, began writing it in the 1960s as he was a church planter in a small community just outside of Baltimore. Part of the task that he had carved out for himself was he was trying to begin a new church there. And as he engaged his, his neighbors in a weekly Bible study, they were just, just found it boring. And so he took it upon himself to try and write the scriptures anew, not to translate it so much as to put it into words uh, because he, he was living in the midst of the race riots of the 1960s. 
And so here are these words that he shares out of the same verse we looked at last week. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll receive your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let me read it again, even slower. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So Jesus gives us this invitation and he says basically, get away with me and you will recover your life. He says, walk with me and watch how I do life. So even as we looked last week to be reminded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we don't want to just believe the way Jesus believed. We also are invited to live the way he lived. Now again, looking at his life, Jesus was given 33 years to start a world-changing revolution. And yet, he didn't start that world-changing revolution until he was 30 years of age. It started out out of obscurity. First of all, he, he got baptized. And he was ready to save the world. And then what did he do? As we read the scriptures, he actually then left out on a 40-day sabbatical where he walked in the wilderness with his heavenly father. And then we think about the first miracle that he performed that's recorded in scripture is it was at the wedding. And to be honest, it wasn't just a big time. Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm the son of God, and then roll out. He actually stayed until the end, even to the point where the wine had run out, and so he turns the water into wine. And that's a whole other story about just God's generosity and how the jars were overflowing. And it was even better wine than what had been served earlier. And then we've looked at this, the story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus is a, is a synagogue leader, so he's well-known in the community. And he comes, pleads with Jesus because his daughter is dying, his little girl. And so as Jesus is walking to his home, he's interrupted. He ends up stopping and talking with a woman who has been sick for more than a decade, some 12 years. And while he's talking to this woman uh, and engaging her in her story, the little girl dies, and yet Jesus, and then Jesus says to Jairus, don't worry, I've got this covered. And then when you think about the transportation that Jesus used, uh, obviously 2,000 years ago, uh, didn't have all the modern conveniences we have today, he could have chosen any animal, uh, but he ends up uh, mostly with a donkey when he does uh, hop on something. And we know donkeys don't, don't move fast. And so the question I want to ask out of, out of this, if we look at Jesus' life and we look at these, these, these stories that are shared out of Scripture, if Jesus wasn't rushed, why are we? Why are you? Why am I? And I want to suggest from just the journey that I've been on as, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, is that one of two things is happening. Either we're running from something 
or we're running to something. And what I mean by that is that we're either running from our past where we've been a failure, where we've got these insecurities, where we maybe have been hurt or even you know, taken advantage of. And then what are we running to? Well, marriage, success, money, being liked. I mean, just all these various things that show that we've got it all together. And yet, well, I want to suggest that what I've learned, at least, that when you're, there's a problem that comes out of this, and it's what, you're chasing a life that will leave you empty, ultimately. And we know Jesus even encourages us in another place in Scripture that you need to be careful you don't gain the world and lose your soul. And again, back to this underlying question that John Mark Comer presents is, you know, what if the greatest enemy of the life you want is the life that we're currently living? But then I know I, I, there's all sorts of pushback, right, that I don't understand, uh, that it's just not fair to, to ask more out of us, that you don't understand there's just not a time. Uh, that I've heard that said so many times. And yet one of the things that John Mark has sort of helped me understand, even at a deeper level, I knew this, but to hear him say it again as he's walked through his own story of, of brokenness and just dealing with burnout and some other things as a pastor of a large church and in the Pacific Northwest is that he simply says, you have the time for what you choose to have time for. Ouch. I don't know about you. Yeah, you have the time for what you choose to have time for. And even the idea that if, if God would just give us another 10 hours in the day, we could just be more productive. But I want to suggest, uh, based on just common sense, that uh, the solution to the issue is not more time. They're really the idea of the solution is that we need to do more of what matters most. And that's hard because it's about choices that we have to make. And it may be that it's because we don't have time for what matters because we're maybe not spending our time on what does. It may be that we're spending our time in a mindless sort of way on what doesn't matter. Now, let me just give you a couple examples just to put it out in front of you. The average American adult spends 706 hours a year on social media. If you sort of extrapolate that out into eight-hour workdays, that's almost four and a half months of working hours that's spent on social media. Now, that's talking about the average American adult. And if you're a Gen Zer, uh, it's probably twice that, if not three times that, the amount of time that's spent on social media. And I know in this past season, especially with COVID, we've, we've leaned into our technology at a whole nother level, but it really is about trying to find uh, rhythms of, of rest within how we access those things. Or the idea of how much time we, we spend on TV. Uh, the average American, again, according to statistics, I saw some 2,737 hours. That's crazy. I saw this statistic recently where the average young man uh, by the age of 21, will have spent 10,000 hours uh, playing video games. At 10 bucks an hour, uh, that's $100,000 in income, right? Uh, in that same amount of time, you could have read 2,000 books. You could have learned to play the piano. You could have gotten your pilot's license. Truth is, you could have memorized the entire New Testament. And to be quite honest, you could have gotten both your undergraduate and your graduate degree. And then to even think about if you're pushing through life's messiness, you probably, if you're in a difficult marriage, you probably could have worked out all the details to save the marriage, to be able to build a strong family and reconcile the issues and move forward in a positive way. Or you could, as these numbers produce, mindlessly waste your life on what doesn't matter. 
So again, back to this sort of underlying question, what if the greatest enemy to the life that we want is the life that we're living? And so the question comes, what do I do? And to be honest, in this current season, we're all trying to figure it out. It's complicated, especially as we think about just what's taking place in the world, the messiness in Afghanistan, the messiness in our country, the political upheaval, just all these various things, the, the whole issue right now around the resurgence of, of COVID with the variants. It's very hard. It's very hard. I don't know what to do at this point. The reality is if you don't slow down, God may make you slow down. You, know, you may be forced to. I mean, truthfully, I have to admit, as I mentioned earlier, the health episode I had last summer totally changed the way I had to do things for a number of months. And I would argue even to this point today, I'm just beginning to get back to some regular rhythms that I had to lay aside. Uh, I don't think I was working too hard at that point, but I do think that you know God used that to sort of settle some things out, if you will. And yet, when we think about all of this and we think about who God is, as we push into just the most basic understanding, we know this much is that God is love, right? And, and it's interesting, again, in John Mark Comer's unpacking of this, is that, as we're reminded, the greatest commandment is that we're to love the Lord our God. And yet, when we, when we look at it, this idea of love, is we see that it's completely incompatible with this concept of being hurried, of always being in a hurry. Again, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, as Paul gives us the definition of love, many of us know these, these verses, but what does Paul say? What's the first word? That love is patient. And what does that mean? Well, that love takes time. And to be honest, if we're hurried, we don't have time. And, and so... Part of what I want to encourage us in the week ahead is to lean into a prayer that I want to invite you to be a part of, that we can pray together. And it's simply this, and there's a link here that you can take a look at, you can download. Uh, and it's a simple idea, God help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. Again, the idea of praying this prayer together individually and then corporately as a church each morning, maybe, that we can know that we're all trying to get our handle around this. And so just some thoughts out of that. So back to the present hope tour that I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the bicycle ride, this idea that we're going to be present, to actually be present in the moment, uh, that in, in loving people deeply, that we're going to listen to people. And then when we listen to people, we're going to see needs. And that even the idea that we're going to hurt with people, and be with them in the midst of their trying to understand what God is doing. And then the encouragement is to actually choose what's important and for us to eliminate what's not. I mean, the idea here is to, to actually be able to say no to what doesn't matter and then being able to say yes to what does. And to be reminded, too, that saying no now doesn't mean it's a no forever, that it's about the rhythms of our life, the seasons of our life. There may be some things that we need to say no to right now so that we can say yes and do other things in, in the days ahead. And then this idea, finally, of sensing God's presence and to recognize his voice. I mean, it's amazing that every person Jesus loved, every miracle he did, it seems as though he did it as he was walking from here to there. And so as we pray this prayer together, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully 
and love people deeply. I guess even the idea when we think about where Jesus was walking and where was he walking? Well, ultimately he was walking to the cross, right? That's what was his final destination here on earth. And yet before he got there in the three years, even the 33 years of his earthly life, it was day by day, step by step, he was walking towards his calling. And that calling was to give his life for us, for you and for me. And so as we pray this prayer, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply, we'll see how that radically changes the way we see the world. We'll see that as we ask God to make us aware and as we walk with a slow rhythm, that we can experience the fullness of who Jesus is, and then out of experiencing that, we can love those around us well. And it's simply day by day and step by step. And as Jesus walked towards his calling, we too can walk to our own calling of where he is asking us to be present to each other. And so let's pray.